Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Part 1. Chapter 1. Blood coated Baz's hands like honey on a hot summer day. It's not working. Shut up and press harder, Liana shouted back at him. Blood had sprayed through Baz's fingers from the wound in the retiree's neck and soaked into her burgundy conservator's robe. Baz could feel the man's pulse, a frantic pump against his palms. Liana was rifling through a chest of ointments and bandages, though what she expected to find that could possibly aid the retiree, Baz couldn't begin to guess. The blood was a fire, burbling around Baz's fingers. At first, he'd thought that only a metaphor to describe the warmth coating his hands. But several moments later, Baz cried out in pain and fell away from the retiree. Bloody burning books! He wiped his hands across his chest, smearing blood over the torch sire sigil stitched on the breast of his dark robes. The worm-tooth necklace he wore dug into his skin as his hands pressed over it, though he barely felt it. It was as if he'd stuck his hands into a forge and left them there, pain radiating from his palms and up his forearms. But when he looked back to the retiree, he all but forgot his own pain. Baz couldn't think of a curse virulent enough to describe the sight. The man was no longer bleeding. Instead, steam gushed from the gash in his neck, shooting into the air as if from a kettle at the boiling point. The retiree's eyes bulged, and he gave a choked scream. His body twitched several times, then grew still steam now rising from not only the wound in his neck, but from the openings at his shirt sleeves and pant cuffs as well, as if his whole body had just been pulled from a flaming pot. Liana stopped rummaging in the chest of supplies and stared in horror. "'What are you doing?' Baz demanded, trying to ignore the pain in his hands. "'Keep looking. We might still be able to help him.' "'It's over, Baz.' The voice came from over Liana's shoulder, and Baz instinctively turned toward it. Tax sat in a chair, the only one in the library's sub-basement, so far as Baz had ever been able to tell. Tax's mouth was set in a thin line, but he otherwise seemed remarkably calm considering what had just occurred. The linen wrapping around his eyeless sockets had recently been changed, seeming inordinately bright in the dim surroundings. Tiny specks of arterial spray stood out against the white fabric. Baz opened his mouth in protest, but another glance at the retiree's unmoving body showed that his older brother was right. 
Gar had been the oldest of the retirees by a good margin. He'd been salty and jaded, though it was for those very qualities that Baz had liked him. You always knew what you were getting with Gar. There were few other people Baz could say that about. But Gar had finally heard the sleeping words and wouldn't be waking again. Liana sighed and shut the chest through which she'd been rummaging, rubbing at her forehead. Third one this month. I've never seen anything like it. And I heard there was a similar case over at Colnar Library. Thank the scribes, it only seems to infect retirees. Baz glared at her. Liana gave a quick glance to Tex and grimaced. Sorry, she muttered. I didn't mean... Well, never mind. I'm going to go clean up, then call some guards for the body. She hoisted up the supply chest and walked into the murk of the sub-basement, toward her workshop by the stairs, avoiding eye contact with Baz. With Liana gone, the adrenaline that had been coursing through Baz's veins subsided. He was still seated on the ground where he'd fallen after realizing Gar's blood had actually been burning him. Now he allowed himself to lie back on the floor, letting out a long breath. Watching someone die was unnerving no matter the circumstances. Baz had far too much first-hand experience with it. But he'd never watched someone he actually liked die. His limbs felt like steel weights, and it took an effort not to shake. Baz's eyes were halfway to closing when he noticed one of Gar's sleeves had been pulled partway up his arm, exposing markings etched on his skin. The blue and gold letters of creation stood out in stark contrast to his white, blood-stained robes. For several moments, Baz could only stare, but eventually he found his voice. It's the tattoos, isn't it? What's happening? Some sort of infection? Tax's demeanor remained unchanged, hands folded in his lap. I'm not certain. His brother's tone was a steady baritone, cutting through the dim surroundings. If sound could be seen, Tax's voice would appear like a beacon on a dark night. But I'm careful to heat my needles before scribing upon any retiree's flesh. Well, it can't be a coincidence, Baz said, sitting back up. You heard Liana? Gar makes three, all going the same way, and they've all had your tattoos. You should stop. Tex shook his head. Even if my scribing is the cause, I don't think any would wish me to cease. I can't offer them much, but the tattoos provide at least a taste of the justice many of us desire a small bit of rebellion against the readers, and for every one person who has perished, seven or eight show no ill effects. Baz looked up to the ceiling. But they can't even see what you write. For all they know, you're scribing curse words on them. Don't be crass, Baz. You needn't be able to see to have hope. Faith is all it takes, and if I can give even one person a reason to keep going, then I will. What else can I do? Baz had been about to ask what the retirees could possibly have to hope for beyond their next hot meal, but Tax sounded so earnest that Baz let the remark die behind his teeth. 
Who was he to criticize his blind brother, to whom he owed so much? You think you could have saved him? Baz asked, seeking a new topic. If you had a book of creation, I mean. For the first time, Tax showed some sign of consternation, head dropping to conceal a frown. I don't know. Perhaps, but it's difficult to say without being able to... His voice trailed off, but Baz knew what he'd been about to say, without being able to see what had happened. I do know I'll miss Gar. He was more stubborn than even you, Baz, but he was a survivor, and full of wisdom if you knew how to talk to him. It will be even lonelier down here without him. As an excuse not to look at tax, Baz wiped his hands over the sub-basement's grit-covered floor in a futile effort to remove some of Gar's blood. He grimaced from the pain of the burns and stopped. Tax had always been stoic about his maiming at the hands of Deliritus and his brute of a harbor, rocks. But Baz had always known how alone his brother felt down here in the darkness, and lately it seemed to be growing worse, as if he were impatient for some sort of change. Tax hadn't given any of the other retirees more than a single tattoo thus far, but after seeing the first few on his arms, Baz had demanded to see the rest of his brother's body. Tax had given himself dozens until his arms and upper body seemed more ink than skin. Was it possible Tax wasn't being entirely honest with Baz? That he was hoping the tattoos might eventually provide him a way out of his dark prison, as they had Gar and the other retirees who died? The thought of losing his brother was more frightening even than his memories from the Actus trials, now more than three months past. And many of those memories were bad enough to keep him up at night. He'd killed people, and worse than that, he'd actually helped Deliritus, the very man who had sentenced Tax to his life of unseeing isolation. And then there were the voices. Baz, are you all right? Tax asked. No, of course you're not. Your hands. How selfish of me, going on about missing Gar while you've burns that need tending. Come here. Baz's cheeks burned. Tex thought he was being selfish after all he'd been through? But there was no arguing when his brother had that note of concern in his voice. For a long time, Tex's tendency to treat him like a child rather than his brother had irked Baz to no end. But lately, Baz had realized that it gave Tex some little relief a small bit of purpose to his otherwise empty days. And while Baz would never admit it to Tax, it was also nice to have at least one person in the world who actually cared for him. With another grimace at the pain from his burns, Baz pushed himself to his feet and moved to stand before his brother. Let me have your hands, Tax said. Baz dutifully held them out, and somehow Tax found them immediately, despite his lack of sight. He probed them gently, nodding to himself each time Baz flinched in discomfort. It's not too bad, 
Tex finally said. Was that a hint of relief in his voice? Baz's cheeks heated again in the face of his brother's compassion. The brief should be able to heal this without issue. The brief. He meant the small spoken book that Emma had given to Baz after he'd saved her from the insane Marla Colnar. He'd read the volume in its entirety to Tex more times than he could count, though it'd taken him an eternity to get through it the first time, as the book was in creation and Baz had zero experience reading the language. He'd had to sound out every word and strain to remember pronunciations he'd heard in the retirees' songs. Somehow, though, his illiteracy hadn't seemed to impact Tax in the least, as his brother had memorized nearly every word of the brief by the time Baz had gotten through it the first time. He suspected Tax had insisted on each subsequent reading more for Baz's education than for Tax's own enjoyment, which made no sense. While Tax was a try, able to draw power from any of the three languages of the Trinity, Baz had only ever shown an affinity for destruction, but a bit of indulgence was the least he could do for his brother. Tax murmured a few lines in creation, the words touching Baz's ears like a solemn hymn sung to the scribes. A chill passed through his hands, and the pain of the burns was gone. Tax hadn't even bothered to take the brief out from within the folds of his robes, having spoken the healing spell perfectly from memory. With anyone else, Baz would have called that foolhardy. A single slip in your diction could be disastrous when speaking a spell. But his brother had been a master speaker even before losing his sight, and though he'd gone ten years without speaking a single spell of power, once Baz had read him the brief, it seemed, if anything, that Tex's skills had only increased, as if he'd never stopped speaking at all. There, his brother said, should be all better now. Thanks, Baz replied, hands still tingling. His fingers were still sticky with drying blood, but the angry red of the burns was gone. I should go clean up and see if Liana needs any help. Tex's head moved to one side, a smile touching his lips. Indeed, go see her. Don't give me that smile of yours, Tex. If anything, his brother's grin only grew. I'm sure I don't know what you mean, Baz. Now go on. I intend to stay here a while and say a few words for Gar. No one else is going to. That dispelled any anger Baz felt toward his brother. All right, I'll be back later. You always are, Baz. Thank you. Baz swallowed and found he could only nod in response, which, of course, was a completely useless gesture in the presence of his blind brother. But words escaped him in the face of his brother's misplaced gratitude. What had Baz done to deserve it? living his whole life while Tex languished down in the depths of the library. Baz left his brother sitting with Gar's corpse and strode off through the dark of the sub-basement toward Liana's workshop. Chapter 2 Liana's back was to Baz as he entered. 
she was stooped over a wash basin, scrubbing at the stains on her robe. The workshop had grown more cluttered as of late. Stacks of spoken books sat on the long workbench against one wall. With Deliritus's victory in the trials had come increased attention on Torchsire Library, which meant more supplicants seeking spells, which meant books losing their power with more regularity and requiring Liana's restorative services. The book dragon statue still sat on its high shelf above the workbench, and it brought the hint of a smile to Baz's lips, despite the rather depressing conversation he just had with Tax. I still don't believe you, you know. Liana had apparently given up trying to wash the blood from her garment while he'd been considering the statue. She now stood facing him with arms folded beneath her breasts, following his gaze toward the statue. Her attempted washing had left her robes wet and clinging to her skin. Baz cleared his throat and feigned interest in a speck of dust on one of the ever-glowing lamps hanging from the ceiling. Yes, you do, Baz replied. They hadn't discussed it much in the months following his return from the trials, but he knew exactly what she meant. How else could I have known exactly what the book dragon told you? She pursed her lips. I haven't worked that out yet. But how could you have completed the trials all on your own without Deliritus? I wasn't alone. I had rocks. And I told you, I just got lucky. Found that book in a rusty box beneath some rubble. Was in and out of the ruins in less than a day. And it just happened to be a book that cures blindness? Baz could only shrug. The funny part was, the secret that was likely to get him killed, that he could read had played no role at all in his completing the trials. But he couldn't very well reveal that an entire underground society of free speakers existed beneath the ruins of Tome's once great library, not after he'd agreed to aid their leader in exchange for his freedom, even if he did think the task Madame Scrivener Tessa had asked of him to be utter madness, which he absolutely did. Why would I lie? Liana continued to glare at him, but after a moment, her lips curved upward, eyes taking on a dangerous glow in the light of the ever-glowing lamps. And was it just Baz, or was she puffing out her chest just a bit more than she had been moments before? To impress me, of course, she said. Baz tried to blurt out several denials all at once, the end result being he choked on his own tongue. He began coughing with such intensity he had to grab the workbench, gasping to catch his breath. Still, it was almost worth it to hear the resulting laugh that his outburst produced from Liana. <laughs> Why, Baz finally managed, would I possibly want to impress you? The weeks I was away from you were the happiest I've ever had. All you do is insult me and try to make me clean your workshop. Liana shook her head, still chuckling. You're impossible, Bastion. She flashed him a smile. But it wouldn't kill you to admit that you don't despise me all the time. It most certainly would, Baz retorted, still out of breath. Tax taught me to be honest. I will tell no lies. Baz held up his hand as if swearing an oath. Liana's smile faltered, and she looked away from him. 
We're going to need to talk about him at some point, you know. Bez's own smile faltered. Talk about tax? Don't know that there's much to say. He's same as he has been for the past decade. Liana glowered. Come on. You think I haven't noticed what he's done to his body? His arms are more ink than flesh. Or the mark on Gar's arm? The retirees are the blind ones, not me. It's harmless, Bez said, once more using the ever-glowing lamp as an excuse to look away from Liana. Harmless, Liana replied. A speaker who can write is far from harmless, Bastion. He suffered his punishment already, Bez said, the words coming out more harshly than he'd intended. It's not as if he can read. That's the only reason I haven't mentioned it to anyone yet. You wouldn't. Baz took a step toward her. Liana cocked an eyebrow at him. And what would you do if I did, Bastion? Each day I flip an empty page at it, I risk my standing with the conservatory. I could be promoted to journeyer in a few years' time if I continue to serve faithfully. But if anyone were to discover what I'm concealing... She shook her head. Please, Baz said, turning from the lamp to look into Liana's deep, purple eyes. Give me a chance to speak with him first. She held his gaze, eyes like the ice caps on the daggers. But she broke eye contact first and sagged against the workbench, looking upward with a sigh. Fine, but someone will find out eventually if nothing's done. I already can't believe that the Duke hasn't yet commented on how much his ink expenses have gone up. Sure, there have been more books in need of restoration lately, but not enough to explain the ink I've supposedly been losing. I don't know how your brother does it. I lock my stores at night before leaving, yet somehow he still manages to get to them. Sorry, Baz muttered. How did Tax get his hands on all that ink? As much as his brother sometimes acted as if he weren't blind— Baz had seen him attempt to walk around once or twice, and it pained him down to his very soul, watching him shuffle about with hands extended before him. Baz doubted Tax could even find his way to the workshop, much less break into it. For that matter, he'd no idea how Tax had learned to write so well despite being blind for over ten years. It wasn't as if there was anyone who'd be willing to teach him. Anyone from the lowliest reader to a duke or duchess who was caught teaching a speaker to read would find themselves hanging from the gallows within a sunrise. I'm not looking for an apology, Bastion. Not a spoken one, anyway. Words are worth less than copper bits unless they're written in a book. Oh, don't look at me like that. It's not as if I'd take any joy seeing Yeltax in trouble. You know, before his retirement, he and I were... It was difficult to tell in the dark, but had Liana's face reddened? Well, I just started here at the library, and he was very helpful showing me around, and... She trailed off again. Just don't think I'd relish having to denounce him. I do care what you think of me, even if you won't admit the same of me. Part of Baz knew that warranted a like-kinded response. He didn't need Liana to like him. He didn't need anyone to like him but he also didn't care for the idea of her not liking him. Wow, what an idiot he was, thinking in such circles. 
She was, after all, the only person aside from Tax who'd ever been something that even resembled friendly to him. He opened his mouth to tell her that, Ah, there you are. One of Torchsire Library's guards stopped at the foot of the stairs, panting as if he'd run a long way. He was newly hired, and Baz didn't know him. With the increased funds from Deliritus's trial's victory, the Duke had been able to hire a full complement of guards, all outfitted in fine, starched uniforms in the library colors. The guard's coat even had genuine buttons, gleaming in the light of Liana's lamps. Likely they were brass. Baz doubted the Duke would have wasted gold or even bronze on guard uniforms, but they looked impressive all the same. Oh, good, Liana said. You've come for the body. The guard's eyebrows rose. Body? I don't know about no body, Conservator Liana. The Duke sent me personally to find the two of you. Your presence is urgently requested in the receiving room. Both of us? Baz and Liana said together, sharing a troubled glance. Yes. Now, if you'll come with me, it's already taken me longer to find you than the Duke will have liked. There is nothing for it but to follow the man. Baz spared another glance for Liana. She didn't return it, but he did notice her biting at her lower lip. She had to be thinking the same thing Baz was. The secret was out. Duke Octavinal had discovered the truth of Deliritus's supposed trial's victory, and he intended to take care of the only two people alive who knew of it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, July 31st, 2022, as I record this, episode 2 of season 2, and episode 29 overall of the book club. Uh, no analysis this week. Um, as I mentioned, I'm not going to be doing analysis after every single narration uh, on this season. Uh, and I may skip the analysis next week, too, as chapter 3 is kind of a long one. And I'm also going out of town next weekend, so time's going to be kind of at a premium for me uh, this coming week. Uh, so I'd say expect a shorter narration in two weeks from now. So next week we'll just listen to chapter 3, uh, and then I'll read to chapter 4 in two weeks, and then do the analysis of chapters 1 through 4 after that. Chapter 4 is a short chapter, so... That'll also help. I'm trying to keep the podcast episodes just a little shorter, too. Uh, I'm sure some weeks I'll utterly fail at that, but um, <clears throat> try to cut down on the number of hour-plus episodes, at least, anyway. Um, so this week, uh, I'm just going to give a quick personal update, uh, and then I'll read the quote of the week and my accompanying short essay, and we will be on our way. Um so let's see, personal update. Uh, last week, I mentioned how I was running some email promotions and uh, looking to see how far I could boost the Actus Trials up the charts. And I uh, thought the experience raised a good reminder for not just me, but perhaps some of you out there as well. So first, the good news is I sold over 100 ebooks last weekend. So definitely something to be celebrated. Um, you know, maybe I take that a little for granted now, not that I have sold a ton of books over my career here, but, um, you know, I usually have moderate success when I run some of these promotions, but 100 books is, is awesome. I know there are lots of people who uh, 
would kill to sell that many books in a weekend. Um, so yes, that's that's great. A hundred more people with uh, my story in their hands, and hopefully at least some of those folks will continue on with the Spoken Books Uprising as well. Um, but then there was what I initially thought was the bad news. Uh, for whatever reason, for the entire day last Friday, which is when my promotions were running, my Amazon rank didn't budge at all. <laughs> um, I don't know if there was some glitch on their end or if they've adjusted their algorithm to disregard large spikes in sales. Um, if you have any insight into that, uh, I would love to hear it. Email me dtkane at dtkane.com. But whatever the reason, uh, I was actually initially upset. So even despite all these books I sold, I was a little uh, ticked that my, my rating, my ranking didn't go up at all. But, you know, after I got over the initial uh, frustration, I thought about it for a while, and, and I just realized how dumb <laughs> that is. You know, I, I don't write because I want to see a high ranking on Amazon. Um, you know, that would be great, but that's not really why I'm doing this. You know, I write to get my stories into the world, uh, to entertain uh, all of you out there, and, and also myself. I enjoy telling these stories to myself. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully I can get an inspirational message across now and again um, as well. So, you know, I think whatever you're doing, here's the lesson here is whatever you do, uh, it's important to understand the reason why you're doing it and then make sure your actions match up with it. Uh, last week was a great reminder of that for me. And moving forward, I don't know that I'm going to bother trying to do this kind of stack of promotions um, again, it does get a little pricey. I mean, I'll still do promotions in the future because I do see a big spike in sales when I do those, which is great. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, just keep your eye on the ball is kind of my, uh, kind of my summary, summary here. Um, you know, I think that applies to writing and kind of anything else, anything else that you're doing goes, goes with my motto of trying to live life, life, uh, purposefully just, you know, I don't really care what you do. You can do anything you want, you know, with, you know, with some exceptions. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think so many people just do stuff without really thinking about why they're doing it. So just a little little lesson there uh, from my personal life that I thought might, uh, might be helpful to some of you out there. Um, and let's see. I think uh, the only other personal update I have right now is, and happier news, but... My edits on Declaimer's Stand, part four of the Spoken Books Uprising, are nearly finished. Um, in fact, I finished just earlier today all of my edits uh, on everything I've written so far. I have one small chapter I need to go back and kind of draft, though I pretty much know exactly what it's going to say. And then I have to draft the prologue, which... Uh, a little behind the curtain here, but the prologue is actually usually the last thing I write. <laughs> um, I think with the I think I probably wrote the prologue of the Actus Trials um, first, or certainly not. It certainly wasn't the last thing I wrote. But all the other books, I think I've written the prologue as one of the final things, um, and I think that helps to make sure that whatever is in the prologue is relevant and not just me kind of vomiting some world building nonsense onto the page like some other fantasy prologues tend to do. Um, so there you go. We've talked in the past on the show here about how I think it's important if you do have a prologue to make sure it uh, is uh, relevant to the story that it precedes. So um, there you go. So uh, we'll pull the curtain back 
now, so you can no longer uh, see the see the see the little man behind the curtain there. But um, that's your uh, insight into the world of DDK in this week. Um, okay, so that's it for my personal update, and then we'll just do the quote of the week here and be on our way. So uh, let's see. This week's quote comes from Stephen Erickson. This is out of Gardens of the Moon, uh, the first book of the Malazan series, the Malazan Book of the Fallen, um, which I am almost completed, which I have almost completed reading at this point and have been really enjoying. Uh, But so the quote is, the curse of climbing is discovering how great the distance yet to climb. Uh, All right, and uh, my little essay here inspired by that quote, Meliora is Latin for ever better. Most would think this a positive word. The drive to constantly improve is generally seen as an admirable one. But what exactly does that mean, to be better? For many, the constant quest to improve degenerates into an unceasing series of comparisons to others. But this is a journey that will never end. Someone will always be prettier, or more skilled, or richer. And even if you do manage to reach the absolute acme of whatever it is you're chasing, then what? Will you have attained lasting satisfaction? No. Might as well try to catch a wave in a bucket. Constantly looking upward is liable to give you a sore neck. Instead, try looking within. Find satisfaction in the day-to-day. If you have trouble doing this, perhaps a change is in order. This moment is all we ever really have. The past gone and the future yet to come. So we might as well enjoy it. All right. Um, Got a couple nice comments about my essays and quotes of the week here recently, so thank you. For that, I really do, I enjoy writing them. I know maybe they don't quite fit into the mold of a, a fantasy-style type podcast. Though, I think one of my aims with them is, like I said earlier, I do try to get my inspirational messages out now and again. But um, one of the things I'm hoping to do is I take a quote from a fantasy book and then write kind of a, uh, you know, a, a short essay that has real, you know, real-life application. So that's that's what I'm trying to show here. I think so many people turn their noses up uh, at fantasy as just being make-believe. And I like to show, well, you know, I think I've even written this in some essays in the past. But, you know, just just how much meaning can actually be packed into into a fantasy book. And I think sometimes fantasy makes it even, even easier to tackle some difficult subjects because you can kind of tackle them through a filter rather than just jumping at them uh, straight on. So... Uh, there you go. Um, if you have any comments about the quotes of the week, good or bad, I would love to hear them. Uh, DTKane at DTKane.com. And as always, if you have a favorite fantasy quote you would like me to feature in a future episode and newsletter, email those to me as well. And uh, if I enjoy it as much as you do, uh, you might hear it on a future episode, including my accompanying essay. Um, so that's it. Just another reminder, if you would like to support the podcast, consider joining me over on Patreon. That page, uh, is now live, and I'd like to thank on the air, 
uh, Jason and Jan. They are my official first two patrons, so thank you, uh, Jason and Jan, for uh, for signing up and, and supporting the show and my writing in general. Uh, and you, too, can uh, join them over at Patreon. Go to uh, patreon.com slash dtkane. Uh, so that's it for this week. Uh, so until next time, this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author. Or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.